Our gospel lesson this morning is in your uh, printed bulletin. It's from John chapter 9. And the lectionary text for today is actually John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. It's a quite long text, and I was originally planning to shorten it significantly, and in the end decided that there was some importance and some value for us to a little bit longer of a story today. And so I encourage you to listen to these words from John's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. You may later want to read the entire text through verse 41. So listen for the word of God. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed, and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid 
of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, though, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God Almighty, we give you thanks for your word for us today, and we pray that you might speak something new to us, that we might continue on our journey, our journey toward knowing and loving you more. Amen. Last week, I talked about wilderness. We've, we've been in a state of wilderness, but last week I talked about the wilderness of the Israelites who were in the desert and who were complaining to Moses, their leader. They said, Moses, what's going on here? Where's the water? We're thirsty. We're going to die. Where's this God who said we would be protected? What's going on? This wilderness in which we live, the wilderness in which we find ourselves today, often has us asking this question, what's going on? Or even, like the psalmist pleads in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? How long are we in this wilderness, this desert? I've been asking this question. Frankly, I've been asking it Nearly each of the past several days at some point, I've been texting and calling other pastors and friends and asking, how long are we going to be doing this strange, different thing with church? I've been looking at updates from school districts where many of you work and go to school. I've been reading every prediction I can find. I've been comparing the London report and the projections out of China and the data coming from Italy. I've been grasping around, wondering, when will this end? I discovered, though, earlier this week that for me, part of my anxiety about this question, this question of how long, was related to Easter. You see, our celebration here of Easter last year was a highlight for me. I loved every second of that day, from our pre-dawn gathering and lighting a fire outside by the labyrinth, and then bringing the light of Christ around our church campus and into the sanctuary, a sanctuary filled with fragrant flowers, the beautiful music with our brass ensemble, and a massive pop-up choir singing the hallelujah chorus. My how long question seemed to be a lot about Easter. For many of you, you might have asked that same question, but I get the feeling you're probably asking some other questions too. What about about graduation? 
my graduation or my child's graduation or my grandchild's? What about my last months of high school or college or the sport that I cared about? What about the wedding that's coming up? What about our dream vacation? Or even what about my job or my health? Or about people I love who are far away or even on the other side of a door that has to remain closed. How long, O Lord? All of these things we're grasping at, the questions, the the how longs of our life, they make total sense right now. They make sense because we're living in a time of uncertainty. The wilderness continues, and the promised land seems out of grasp. Lent is traditionally a time of wilderness. Our texts take us into wilderness. It's a time when we acknowledge the pain in the world, the brokenness, the suffering of the world, and where we seek through sacrifice and through obedience to draw closer to God. There have been a a lot of funny jokes going around on the internet about Lent being quite different this year, and I, I think there's some reality to those humorous responses to our present condition. One pastor friend of mine issued a very unofficial and tongue-in-cheek pastoral permission releasing his congregation from those things that they chose to give up for Lent. He said, if you've been giving up chocolate or coffee or anything else, you've probably identified that as something you care about and you are hereby released from the practice. Go ahead, eat your chocolate. I laughed at this, but then I realized something that struck me about it. Part of why people choose something to give up at Lent is because we don't otherwise often understand a whole lot about what it means to sacrifice. Sure, we all have things in our lives that we have to give up or we have seasons of difficulty, but for the most part, for many of us, those Lenten sacrifices, chosen sacrifices, they're difficult because of the fact that we can control them. We're, we're choosing. We always have the out of choice. No one else told us that we couldn't have that item or we couldn't do that thing. We've chosen them in order to help us draw nearer to God. But I wonder, does it work? I know for some people it does work. I've talked to them about it, and I've, I've heard how that, that intentional chosen sacrifice helped them to examine their faith a little bit more. But for others, they're merely counting down the days, the days which are the same number every Lent, 40 days every Lent, leap year or otherwise. They're, they're counting down the days like counting down the minutes of an exercise regimen. The how long question during most Lent seasons, has an answer. Right now, though, right now in this wilderness, we can't answer the how long question. In fact, we might truly be asking the question for the first time. But not all of us. And I want to take a moment and acknowledge that. For many of you, you've been asking the how long questions a lot longer than the introduction of COVID-19 
to our lives. You've been asking the question during dialysis treatments or waiting for a transplant or challenges with infertility, with pain that is your constant companion. You've been asking this question, how long, O Lord, with grief that won't subside, with guilt that overwhelms and asking the question when the voices in your head tell you that you're not worthy and push you to the brink. The question, how long, O oh Lord? For some of you, this has been a question you've asked alone in the suffocating social distance that has not had anything to do with a plea from health experts, a question you've been asking as you've stayed home and sheltered in the places where you find safety that has nothing to do with a governor's order. And so for even a moment, my prayer is that even as I yearn for the answer to my question, my, my question, how long? My prayer is that it might cause me to reflect for even a moment on seeing through the lens of those for whom this question is so familiar, such a constant companion, that it's a question they just don't bother to ask anymore. In our gospel lesson this morning, complex gospel lesson with lots of layers, I want to narrow the focus and focus on just two things for us today. First, I want us to remember how it feels to be asking this how long question. I want us to remember how it feels because I'm confident that for many of us, the feeling will go away. There will be another side. This strange Lent will end will come out of the wilderness and into a promised land. And when we do, I want us to remember the wilderness. Because when we come out of the wilderness, there will be those for whom the wilderness does not end. And my friends, we are called to be a different voice of love to those in the wilderness after we've experienced something of our own wilderness. In the gospel text, I want to focus on the way that the young man who was blind was treated by those in the community. They created a wilderness for this young man and his family. It, it wasn't created by his blindness. It wasn't created by his sin. Jesus calls the blindness a gift. The wilderness was caused because the people judged both the boy and his parents. They judged his blindness, they bl judged his disability, and they tied it to sin. The disciples joined in this because this was a cultural and religious norm. There were scriptural teachings ascribing disability to something that someone did wrong. And Jesus not only rejects this theology, he risks his life and he'll ultimately die to reject this sort of theology. The theology of Jesus Christ is one that says that Jesus walks with people who are in the wilderness. Jesus walks with those who have been rejected. Jesus heals the blind man. But really, Jesus uses the gift of the young man, the gift of the young man's blindness to show that God's wondrous miracles happen even in the midst of our wilderness, even in the midst of our own wilderness. Second takeaway from this text that I want to offer for us today is related to this place. 
this space here, but also the church buildings that are empty throughout the country right now and for the foreseeable future. In our text, I wonder if you caught that the parents of the boy are worried. They're worried not about the boy's blindness. They're worried after he's given sight. They're worried about not being allowed in their church because Jesus has healed their son. You see, Jesus was seen as a revolutionary. And the religious leaders had already put out a warning that anyone who followed him would be thrown out of their churches. And I find this fascinating this week. And I wonder if I'm reading this text differently this week than I would have. This is my last time preaching in this pulpit for a while. I'll especially miss the annoying creak in the floor. I hope you're hearing it. As much as a lot of people don't like it, I hope you're hearing it. I'm going to miss that creak in the floor. For many of you, you won't be in these pews, pews that for some of you have been a weekly home your entire lives. You won't be in these pews for the next month or longer. We don't, we don't know how long. I was intrigued by this reading, though, because the fear of these parents wasn't that they'd be rejected by God. Their fear is that they wouldn't be allowed to go to church. Now, those two are linked, but the text is specific about the building. This word only comes up three times in the New Testament. They're worried about not being able to come to the building. We hear it said a lot that a church is a people and not a building, especially in times like this or when there's a disaster or a fire or for some reason a place that matters is no longer around. And I appreciate the sentiment of the phrase. It helps us reframe where we place the value. But my friends, there's no way around it. The building matters. Our gathering in person matters. And, and we feel it when we're not in the same place. And right now, like these parents in our gospel lesson, there is some grief in not being able to gather in a building. Yes, the church is so much more and so, so, so much stronger than the stones that make the building. And we're seeing this now already. We're seeing it in our weekday prayer services. I saw it this week in our story time with our church children, in Bible studies and small groups, all of which are flourishing this week. But make no mistake about it, gathering, a gathering place, it matters. And part of the loss we're all experiencing is it's because we don't want to lose this place. And we'll be back here, for sure. But the interesting thing in this gospel lesson is that in the face of the fear of these parents, Jesus doesn't say anything, but he seems to understand. He doesn't press them. He lets them name their fear, a fear that somehow even eclipses their joy of their son seeing. I've often wondered why John included this part of telling the story. But whenever that happens, especially in John's gospel, I try to lean into that wonder. He, he chooses his words 
wisely. But I've wondered. And in this story, I find, I find that Jesus might be sending us a message for today. Indeed, a message that God's love isn't contained to our attachment to a building. But I think he's also sending us another message. That God's love, God's transforming love, God's love that brings us out of the wilderness is a love that is more important, more important than the things we treasure the most. God's transforming love is stronger than the things we fear the most. Jesus uses the fear of these parents and he, he also uses the confrontation of those in the story who don't believe him. And he uses this young man who's been bullied because of his disability. He uses all of them, their wilderness wanderings, to show his love, to help them to to see whether spiritually or physically he brings healing, he brings newness. And in the end, he brings belief. This text is often analyzed as one that is marking the way to Holy Week, to those final days of Christ's life. But there's also a pathway to resurrection, to to being seen spiritually. In this text, there's blindness in sight over and over again, and we often see the death of Good Friday leading to the sight of Easter. Easter, when we will celebrate the revolutionary love of a Savior who pulls us all out of our wilderness. Today, this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent, has been known in the church for several centuries as Laetere Sunday. It's a Latin word. I wonder if you've heard this word, Laetere, L-A-E-T-A-R-E. It's Latin for rejoice, Laetere Lent, as we all know, is seen as a contemplative and somber time. We often uh, take away a lot of our alleluias in our music. We uh, don't have much by way of flowers. Some churches strip their sanctuaries completely. But for hundreds of years, the church celebrated Laetere Sunday. This Sunday, we rejoice. It's meant to be a time in the middle of Lent. For many, it was a break from their fasting. A time in the middle of the wilderness when the church pauses, pauses in the darkness to remember the light. Rose-colored candles and flowers were brought into the church and pastors wore vestments of rose or pink color. Rejoice! The bells were rung. Rejoice! Rejoice! It comes from the words of the prophet Isaiah. Rejoice, Jerusalem, and all who love her. Celebrate! And all you who have shed tears over her, join in the happy singing. This is the last chapter of Isaiah. It's among the final words of the prophet to God's people. There's no message at the end that all is going to be wonderful and perfect for the rest of their life. They've just rebuilt the temple. They're back in where they are. And and what the prophet says is rejoice. In the midst of any darkness you're going to encounter, in the midst of the tears, rejoice. Rejoice. 
Rejoice. Rejoice. Friends, find moments to rejoice. Take a deep breath. Laugh with your family. Have FaceTime dates with the people you love. Bake something special. Cook, drink, laugh. Find moments in the wilderness to rejoice. To rejoice. Wear pink. There are moments, my friends, where we have to make the choice to rejoice. Even when it doesn't come natural. Even when we're crying, even in the midst of our tears, even when we're asking, how long? We rejoice in the wilderness because we know that Easter is coming. We are an Easter people. Easter does not have a fixed date. We don't know when we're going to walk in these doors again. But make no mistake about it, when we come back together to worship again in this space, we will worship as Easter people. We will rejoice with the sound of trumpets and horns and shouts of hallelujah. The flowers will be abundant. We are Easter people. Even in the wilderness, we are Easter people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.